If you love great olive oil, do I have a deal for you? As one of my listeners, you're entitled to receive for $1, listen to this, for just $1, a $39 bottle of one of the world's finest artisanal olive oils. And what makes this oil really special? It was just fresh pressed at the new harvest, so it's bursting with more harvest fresh flavor than any olive oil you've ever tasted. It's yours for just one buck to help cover shipping as your introduction to the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. And there's no obligation to buy anything now or ever. But what exactly is fresh pressed olive oil? And why is it so much more flavorful than store-bought olive oil? The problem with store-bought olive oils is that they can sit on store shelves for months, even years, growing stale or even rancid. The olive, after all, is a fruit. And olive oil is similar to a fruit juice in that it's much more flavorful when fresh pressed. And that's what's unique about oils from my friends at the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. They rush their oil direct to your door by plane and special delivery truck straight from the latest harvest. This means that you, your family, and lucky guests can enjoy top-of-the-line artisanal olive oils at their peak of harvest fresh flavor and nutritional value. This is great news for us low-carb lovers because pure fresh-pressed olive oil has zero carbs. Zero carbs! It adds whole layers of amazing flavor to your favorite low-carb dishes, your roasted vegetables, healthy salads, grilled meats, delicate fish, toasted nuts. Oh yeah! I can tell you from personal experience, once you try this fresh-pressed olive oil, you'll never go back to store-bought again. Try it yourself and see. For your 39 bottle for a buck, go to jimmyoliveoil.com. That's jimmyoliveoil.com. One more time, jimmyoliveoil.com. Hi, I'm Christine Moore, Jimmy Moore's wife, and I'm here today to tell you about the Nutritional Therapy Association and why I decided to go through their Nutritional Therapy Practitioner Program. I figured, well, this will be a great opportunity for me to maybe possibly be able to help people with their nutritional issues and anything that they might be going through. Just the thought of me having to learn stuff again, it was intimidating. I didn't think that I would be able to do it. didn't think that I would be able to retain the stuff that I was learning and I would have a hard time on the quizzes and the tests. The NTA is looking for more keto practitioners. They believe in real food. They do not frown upon good healthy fats. They believe that they should be a healthy part of the diet. The most gratifying part of the program has been getting to meet a bunch of like-minded people who are interested in nutrition. A lot of us came into this program with health issues of our own that we wanted to try to fix. The material that we're learning is just absolutely incredible. I thought I knew a lot about nutrition, but going through this program, there's so much more to it than what I actually knew. We learn about anatomy and physiology, so we learn about how things work in the body, how vitamins and minerals affect the body, so it's just been a great program anyone should do this program. It's a nine-month program that can pretty much fit into anybody's schedule. I mean, we have people that have children, full-time jobs going through this, so it's very flexible with your schedule. If you're thinking about it and not sure, I would highly recommend you go through it. Join the Nutritional Therapy Association today at nutritionaltherapy.com. 
Have you been interested in trying the new cutting-edge technology of exogenous ketones but didn't know where to get started? Let me introduce you to Perfect Keto. Visit perfectketo.com slash Jimmy and use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 15% off your order. Perfect Keto was created by a functional medicine clinician who developed this unique formula for maximum efficacy. It's great tasting and the most affordable exogenous ketone supplement you can find that raises blood ketone levels up to 1.5 millimolar to help increase mental focus, boost your energy, and commence fat burning. It does not contain any soy, dairy, gluten, artificial sweeteners, binding agents, or anything that doesn't directly improve your health. The synergistic power of a low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat, ketogenic diet with Perfect Keto Exogenous Ketones will have your body running optimally. Perfect Keto is available in delicious chocolate sea salt and peaches and cream flavors. Each serving comes with 11.38 grams of high-quality beta-hydroxybutyrate for maximum ketone boosting while adding in magnesium, potassium, cocoa, stevia, and vitamin C for extra micronutrition. Again, try Perfect Keto for yourself at Perfect perfectketo.com slash jimmy and be sure to use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 15% off your order. Perfect Keto. It's time for Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole featuring veteran health podcaster Jimmy Moore and functional medicine practitioner Dr. Will Cole. They're here every Thursday answering your questions about low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diets. Now, it's time to drop some keto knowledge on Keto Talk. Keto Talk. Here's Jimmy and Will. Hey, hey, guys. We're back here with episode 86 of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Visit our website, it's ketotalk.com. And if you love Facebook and you want to engage with your fellow Ketonians, head on over to the official Facebook page for Keto Talk. It's ketotalkfb.com for the Ketonian Corner. But we are here each and every Thursday right here just for you to answer your questions all about low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diets. And I'm here with the one and only, the man himself, Dr. Will Cole, drwillcole.com is his website. He's a functional medicine practitioner in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he is my awesome co-host. What's up, Will? What's up, Jimmy? How are you? I am good, man. always love coming here on Thursdays and getting to jibber-jabber with you about ketosis. That's always fun. Yeah, I love it. It's, I look forward to it. In, in midst of all the patients, it's like my nice little like nerd talk with you. I love it. <laughs> well, and the cool thing is, I know your predecessor said this often, that sometimes we'd have questions on the show and he was like, oh, yeah, I just dealt with this with an actual patient either that morning or he had he was looking through the file and seeing that he had one coming up later that day. So it, it kind of helped him solidify, you know, what he believed and why he believed it. And so I'm sure that's happened for you, too. Yeah. And, and as, honestly, the questions that we get, there are things that I do see clinically. So it's really nice. It, it enables me to verbalize it to the listeners on things that I see on a regular basis. Absolutely. 
So speaking of things you see on a regular basis, it's so funny when you start to pay attention to health and your nutrition and and you kind of have a new set of eyes on you. And I, I don't know about you, Will, when you're watching television, I don't know how much TV you watch, but there's a, a commercial that comes on pretty often now. Have you seen this commercial for the diabetes drug called Jardians? It's a, it's a new uh, drug uh, for people with type 2 diabetes, and they talk about, you know, relating it to heart health. And of course, we know why it's related to heart health as well. Uh, but in the ad, they actually have a blurb on the screen that says, ketoacidosis means increased ketones in the blood or urine. And so they're, they're warning people with diabetes, type 2 ostensibly, uh, about ketoacidosis. And so they hear these messages, and I just shake my head when I see this, because the presence of ketones in the blood or urine does not mean you necessarily have ketoacidosis. Have you seen this ad? I hadn't seen it on TV, but I saw it in preparation for today's show. Yeah, and we'll it have was a link quite in the show funny. Notes, by the know? way, guys. Yeah, you have to watch the link. It's, I love the behind the scenes, like let's ca- catch people, quote unquote, real people, yeah. really overacting actors on the street <laughs> and about this like fear mongering of, of ketones and ketoacidosis is going to happen. It was quite funny. And, and it's so funny, the side effects. I think it's hysterical. All the other side effects they mentioned, they, just because they say it in a chipper voice and really quickly, like you're not going to hear those really bad things that can happen. It's really uh, pharmaceutical commercials are really funny. Yeah, that one just really got me because it was a lot of scaremongering. And then to pull out the the K word, as I'll call it, uh, which is not really the K word you and I talk about here on this show. Um it's it's just sad that those kind of messages are so pervasive and get out there. And so people are like, oh, my goodness, keto ketones in the blood or urine, that's ketoacidosis. And we're here to tell you guys, no, it ain't. <laughs> Not necessarily yeah. anyway. Yeah. So anyway, go check out the ad, you guys, uh, this, this gray-haired middle-aged guy with the glasses and uh, – yeah, I, I just had to bring it up because it's just frustrating to see these kind of things in our culture. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, it full on says on the screen, ketoacidosis means increased ketones in the blood or urine, and right. they're not qualifying it uh, at all. They're just kind of putting it out there in an oversimplistic um, way. You know how they say in uh, court of law, you got to speak the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. <clears throat> that's that's yeah. the truth, but it's not the whole truth. <laughs> Exactly. That's 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 the nuance. They're missing that uh, differentiation there. Exactly. Well, let's get to uh, my favorite portion of the show since you've been on, and that is the hot topics. And we got three more goodies here today. And the first one is kind of a. It's not really that controversial, but. Within the world of ketosis, a lot of people think, oh, well, what can I eat as a snack when I'm on a ketogenic diet? And, of course, my answer is always, why are you snacking? <laughs> if you're truly satisfied with the foods that you're eating in those you know, few meals that you're having, why do you have to have snacks on a ketogenic diet? So is snacking on keto a thing? Well, 
I think it is. We need to kind of clarify: is it a need or is it sort of a lingering habit? And yeah. habits die hard. Habits die real hard. Um, and habits start really young and very young. And subconsciously, I mean, scent is very much tied to memory. And the sense we have as young kids, even before we can even consciously remember them, impact our. Our, our, it's this sort of uh, scent of nostalgia in our childhood, and there's a lot of really fascinating research that I've written about in the past and how that can um, really elicit to the foods we go to. So is it a need or is it a lingering habit? And I think most of the time, if someone has a well-formulated ketogenic diet, it may just be a lingering habit, and it's not born out of being hangry, but it's born out of they just are maybe bored and they want something to have in between meals. But I would agree, if they quote-unquote need or have or getting hangry in between meals, they're not optimizing their food choices and they they aren't in the right spot. So I would look either they're not eating enough food at their meals yep. or they're not eating the right foods at their meals if they are if like if they say, Oh, if I don't have between a meal, if I get if I don't have that snack, I get really irritable or I get a headache. <laughs> well then there's something not going wrong. There's not something wrong with the meals that you are having to not be able to make it a couple of hours. Yeah, I often tell people you should easily go maybe six or so hours without being hungry after eating a meal. If you didn't, then you probably didn't eat enough or you didn't eat enough fat in the diet to satiate you at least six hours between meals. I mean, I go routinely 12, 14, 16 sometimes hours between meals, and it's not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. That's the top thing I tell patients is that you haven't eaten enough healthy fats at that meal. And when we look back on food logs, that's most of the time the problem. Now, that's not to say that if you're traveling and you're kind of out of your normal routine, you're on a plane, uh, you're in a car ride, whatever, that you can't bring some, say, peely nuts or the the drop an F-bomb people um, or any of those kind of, of healthy snacks with you. That's probably an appropriate place to snack. But just on a day-to-day basis yeah. in your regular routine, you probably shouldn't mm-hmm. need to snack. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, when I, I'm seeing patients, I can't always have the big meal that I probably should have. So I do have, I mean, right on my desk right now, I have the F-bomb avocado oil. So, I mean, it's something where you are busy. That's not, we're not demonizing snacks. And I think there's a lot of really great healthy ketogenic uh, snacks out there. But as a general rule, if someone's trying to optimize their, their food medicine, they need to focus on their meals first. That's right. Well, let's get to the second hot topic. And this is a biggie within the community because people are like, well, you can't access your stored body fat if you eat too much fat on a ketogenic diet. Of course, my question always back to those people that talk about too much fat is, what does that look like? What is too much fat? Are you talking about blowing beyond satiety? Obviously, nobody Mm -hmm. is calling for blowing beyond satiety with the consumption of fat. But is there such thing as too much fat on your low carb, high fat ketogenic diet? Yeah, I think first of all, we need to kind of maybe for the new listeners out there, because I know every week there are new listeners that are just kind of jumping into this ketogenic world. First of all, healthy fat is critical for our health. Um, You know, your brain is 60% fat, 25% of your body's cholesterol is in your brain. Uh, It is the your brain is your fattest organ. Uh, I'm not I'm not trying to call you names. Oh, we're (laughs) still all of us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's needed for fat is healthy fat 
that is needed for healthy brain function, hormonal function, immune system function. Um, but typically, if the person is eating, as you said, to satiety and not overeating, they won't be eating too much healthy fats because their body will just tell them when they are too full. They're not just going to stop at that point. So I think the question more than anything is what is your personal ketogenic formula. I mean, like you had mentioned in your books and just on the show that you function better at closer to 80% fat, whereas someone else may not need that amount of fat. So like you said, what is too much fat? And it's going to look different depending on the person that you're talking to. Yeah. Unfortunately, people, because of the fat phobia that's still out there, will people see, oh, too much fat? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So people automatically embrace it when that may be the very wrong message. Now, again, hear me clear, guys. I'm not saying you should gorge on any food whatsoever, any micronutrient, fat, protein or carbohydrate. But fat to satiety is going to differ from person to person. I'm a I'm a pretty big guy. And so my satiety signal kicking in with fats probably going to be a little higher than someone else's. As as Will was saying, we are so bio individual, a common theme song here on Keto Talk. It's true. I mean, it's really true. Yeah. And so the third hot topic is uh, is a question I get quite often in the email, and I thought, okay, let's address it in the hot topic section. And I'm sure you could go a million miles with this one, uh, different directions, uh, Will, with the basic health test to track when you're eating low-carb, high-fat. Um, you know, and, and obviously, it's going to be highly individualized. You know, specific people will need more tests than others. But is there any, like, universal test that everybody could run to see? and track how they're doing on their ketogenic diet? I think an easy day-to-day thing is fasting, fasting glucose, fasting serum glucose, just with a glucometer meeting. And you want to make sure that's under 90 um, for fasting blood sugar in the morning. Um, and obviously something that we talked about on the show, and you've talked for many, many, many years uh, about this blood uh, ketone. So looking at beta-hydroxybutyrate, if you have a breath a ketone meter, these are good like daily things if you're looking for just the basic stuff. Yeah. If you go to the lab, or ask your PCP or endocrinologist or other doctor to, to run labs. And these are labs that we run for, for people as well um, virtually. But um, we would run serum insulin uh, and that would be fasting as well. And the functional medicine optimal thriving range would be under three. Uh, and then, then I would look at inflammation too because we're, we're from a ketogenic approach. One of the goals that we're trying to do is drive down inf- inflammation cascades and, and optimizing that. So looking at C-reactive of protein or high sensitivity, high HSCRP, yep. and we want that under under one, and then homocysteine, which is another way to gauge inflammation and healthy methylation path- pathways, which is responsible for healthy brain and gut and detoxification pathways, um, and that it, we want homocysteine under seven units per millimol. So those are some things to consider, either testing that on your own from a glucose and the ketone standpoint, and then basic lab looking at insulin, CRP, and homocysteine. Is there any benefit to running an advanced cholesterol panel like an NMR lipo profile to kind of keep an eye on exactly what's happening with some of the metabolic markers? Because triglycerides, we know, drop like a rock when you go keto. HDL ostensibly goes up because of the healthy fats that you're eating, and you see the quality of your LDL particle uh, size get uh, larger, which is a good thing. Uh, Would that be another good one to maybe run? 
Absolutely. And that's NMR test is what a test we run on almost every patient. So that's another one too. It's not as common. Like if you're looking for basic tests, because your doctor may be like, what the heck do you need that for? When I said basic, when I was saying basic, I was referring to what are some like baseline. This is what you put your normal patients on, not basic in as much as they're common with the mainstream medicine. We know they're, they're clueless. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, for sure. NMR test or nuclear magnetic resonance, because that is something you want to get a baseline for and monitor that. And we have we get super geeky here and just put spreadsheets out there and kind of track trends for patients to make sure they are trending in the right direction. And if they're not, let's readjust our efforts to see what's not optimized here. And, and probably finally, maybe doing a full thyroid panel with all of the markers, not just TSH and was it T3 that they typically run, um, doing the full panel with the antibodies and the reverse T3 and all, the whole shebang probably isn't a bad idea to keep an eye on as well, right? Yeah, they typically will run a TSH or, or a thyroid stimulating hormone and then a total T4 because that's all they need to prescribe Synthroid or Levothyroxine. But yeah, yeah that's about a, a two pieces to like a seven or eight piece puzzle at least. So looking at thyroid antibodies and this is something that if you want the full thyroid um, panel, it's on our website, on my website at drwillcole.com. Just type in thyroid labs because um, it has the functional range on there. You can take to your doctor and say like, this is what I want ran. And typically you have to ask for it. There are some good diagnosticians out there yeah. in the health world, the medical world, and they'll just run it regardless because they're good at it, their job. But most of the time they're running the basic labs to determine if you need to be put on the medication or not. Yeah. Unfortunately, you go to your doctor and say, I want a full thyroid panel. All they're going to run is those two. And so <laughs> uh, it, it's yeah. kind of like a mainstream uh, doctor looking at lipids and all they're running is total cholesterol and LDL. And they don't really care about the other numbers because they can't prescribe you a medication based on those other numbers like they can the yeah. LDL in total. Yeah, and it's something that I've talked about in previous weeks is that we see uh, low thyroid hormone, even just subclinical, like just not optimized, out of the functional range thyroid hormones, it decreases cholesterol detoxification pathways. So oftentimes it's just not, we have to optimize the thyroid hormone numbers to actually have the body properly clear out excess cholesterol. So oftentimes it's, it's really the thyroid issue that's keeping the cholesterol up, not the food that people are eating. So that's something to consider as well. Yeah. Well, Will, let's get into some of the latest headlines in the world of health and how they relate to a ketogenic diet. And it it seems like 2017, it's not been difficult to find some of these articles (laughs) as compared to previous years when they weren't really paying attention to keto. Well, now they can't help it because everybody's talking about it. So this first one is from the Daily Mail. From fatigue and muscle wastage to total brain mush, what really happens when you cut carbohydrates from your diet? Experts have revealed what really happens when you cut carbs from your diet. And while a lower carb diet is okay, drastic cuts can have a detrimental effect. Well, what's a drastic cut? Anyway, we'll get to that. You can suffer brain mush and your uh, muscles fatigue faster and for longer. And it's recommended that people enjoy whole grain carbs rather than cutting them completely. Now, I'll let you guys go to the show notes at ketotalk.com to see the entire uh, Australia and scientist and educator Dr. Tim Crow's comments all about this issue of carbs. Uh, but what did you think? Uh, did, did he get some things wrong? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. 
Ugh, this is this saddens me because of all the people reading this. This is the Daily Mail. This yes. is hugely read, and it is just perpetuating this problem. People are thinking that they need this stuff to survive, and it's crazy. I mean, they actually say carbs are brain food, and without it, your brain is going to turn to mush. I mean, who wants their brain to turn to mush? So, yeah. if the well-intentioned person, it's like wow, like, and they're so confused and stressed out because then the next thing the Daily Mail writes, it's going to be something else. So we have to kind of clear the confusion hopefully i mean yes. the fact that this is like talking about you're going to have fatigue and you're not going to have good muscle strength with cart without without carbs it's you know it's more of the same it's not new news but to us but it is it never i always still get amazed that this is still being put out there well, there is a reason my British uh, friends say that the Daily Mail is a rag. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And and what does that mean? A lower carb diet is okay, but drastic cuts can have a detrimental effect. It's almost like they're saying, okay, we know there's benefit in restricting carbohydrates. Just don't do it too much. And again, it, going back to the bio individuality, maybe some people need a little more than just lowering. They need low. Yeah. And they don't talk about that, that nuance in the article. They're just kind of giving generalities as far as don't cutting it too much. And you, like you said, what is too much? Well, and then finally, the whole idea of enjoying whole grain carbs rather than cutting them. What do you get from whole grains that you can't get from other real whole foods? Anything? I know. I mean, the one thing that people say are is fiber, but I mean, have they seen vegetable Vegetables, fiber hello. and seen uh, it's like a lot of fiber. Um, so it's that argument doesn't really play a part. And honestly, I think most of the argument with grains and I mean argument, I mean, just like the point that people bring up. Yeah justifications yeah they actually are really born out of this sort of almost like addictive sort of uh protectionism that they uh, they get very irritable about the fact that you're telling it so they look at they're grasping for straws as far as why they should keep this in here but there's actually really no if you look at the facts there's actually no major reason why people need to have these things well and the dirty little secret that they don't tell you about with the whole grain so-called so whole grain because most people that are eating quote whole grain bread and other foods they're not eating whole grains. It's it's pretty darn refined. But what they're not telling people is they're having to add back in externally artificial uh, vitamins and minerals to these whole grains to make them, quote, healthier. If they didn't do that, pretty much whole grains would just be nothing nutritionally to you. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's not a whole food, but it's such a major part of our society. It's a, it's a, the base of the, the age old food pyramid. It's now a big slice of the USDA, my plate. And it's an integral part to our farming industry, not just in the United States, but as the, you, you, in the UK and Australia as well. So it's the backbone of, of our society's way of preparing meals. I mean, it's literally at every meal, um, in the standard American diet. And if you take it out, they're just, it's just up in arms, radical. Um, I think less so more than ever because people are starting to wake up, but it's still a major blowback that you get when you tell somebody to avoid that major staple of the American or Western diet. 
I want to see the study that concludes that if you eat a low-carb diet, that your brain turns to mush. I, I haven't seen that study yet. I haven't seen the <laughs> one that talks about your muscles fatiguing faster and for longer. I've seen just the opposite. Your brain actually gets highly enhanced because the ketones are fueling it very well of that 60%, 70% fat that's in your noggin. And then your muscle uh, fatigue, you're actually recovering quicker because of the lowering of the inflammation from a ketogenic lower carb ketogenic diet. So it, it's it's kind of funny, Will, when you kind of read through this and you know what you know about keto and then you see this and go, where are they coming up with this other than the backside of their body? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's why we talk about these things here on Keto Talk, because people keep people read the Daily Mail and they might believe this stuff. So now, you know, as a famous person once said, the rest of the story. So, <laughs> But let's get to the next one. And this next one is from New Scientist. Using new study to back high-fat, low-carb diets is flawed logic. Fans of high-fat, low-carb diets grasped at a recent study to declare their fringe view proven, but they were wrong. And so this is one we actually talked about here recently on Keto Talk uh, about how low-fat diets are, are more unhealthy for you. The low-carb diet uh, tends to be a better way if you're going to lose weight and get healthy. One thing that I was very clear about this pure uh, study that looked at 135,000 people in 18 countries, I didn't like it. And, and I've remained consistent about this when I talk about studies on this show, that if we're going to give uh, you know credence to low-carb, high-fat studies that are merely observational epidemiological uh, studies looking at data from multiple points and not direct randomized controlled clinical trials— we can't at the same time then, you know, look at low fat ones and go, oh, no, you know, we have to be consistent. And I was consistent. I was not one of these people who used that study, even though it made what I believe is true look better. I don't think this is good evidence. And so I can see where they're trying to mock some of some of the people that are. But at the end of the day, I agree with this article. Let's not hail this as some great finding because it's really not. Yeah. And I, I encourage anybody to look back on, uh, listen back on the episode that you had mentioned that. And we talked about the study. That's what we said about it. It's like, well, advocates of ketogenic diet or a higher fat diet are going to cling to an article, because uh, cling to the study because it agrees with what we're trying to say. But it's intellectually dishonest to sort of pick and choose the type of of studies that we we like, and then demonize the same the same similar formulated study for something we disagree. Um, so I mean, and they mentioned in the article that the highest average of of levels looked of of eating fat in this study were actually lower than those typical in the United States and and the UK, um, and they're not far off from the government recommendations that are current. So in this context, they're saying interpreting it as a call for us to auto increase consumption of fat. They are calling this irresponsible and i love that they even end as perhaps even dangerous <laughs> so <laughs> but will they say the same about those on the low fat side that see this kind of data similar kind of data supporting their point of view will they have the same uh, i guess vigilance to hold them accountable i've never seen any such article 
No, you're right. It's it is definitely one sided because they're not being intellectually honest. They are they are doing the same thing that that we're saying isn't isn't right. I mean, because they will cling to the the article that agrees with them or the study that agrees with them and they'll they'll claim it as gospel. Um, we have to kind of ask for and and keep speaking about better formulated studies to really get some awesome evidence out there for people to 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 know what's what this can do for their health. And that's really the thing. I think once we see these kind of studies get out there, uh, okay, great. This establishes that there's a hypothesis that needs to be tested. And so these kind of studies of 100,000 plus people, all right, great. We're seeing a trend that shows it might be XYZ. Well, let's test XYZ in you know, 300 people in a randomized control clinical setting. And let's see what that shows. I am much more interested in that 300 person randomized control clinical trial than I'll ever be of an observational study of 100,000 people plus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's those are the studies that we need to be looking out for and the studies that I definitely would give more gravity towards. Yeah. Well, I, I've raised our blood pressure a little bit, as I always do with the first couple of headlines. So let's pause here. We'll be right back with some more positive news. They're back and better than ever at JimmyLovesFBomb.com. They are the F-bomb company. That is Smart Fuel. They have made some incredible products for the ketogenic community, and they make keto easier. They have products that include coconut oil, macadamia nut oil, house blend, MCT oil, olive oil, avocado oil, macadamia nut butter with sea salt, macadamia nut butter without salt, coconut butter, macadamia nut butter blend. They also have salted chocolate macadamia nut butter. These are all available to you now at jimmylovesfbomb.com. And if you head on over there now and you use the coupon code jimmylovesfbomb, they'll give you 10% off of your first order. jimmylovesfbomb.com. How would you like to test your blood ketones for just $1 per strip? Join the Keto Clarity Club at bestketonetest.com for the Keto Mojo blood ketone and blood glucose testing. And join the club to get $1 strips when purchased in vials of 50. You get to choose how often that they will ship to you and you'll still get that $1 price per strip. And while you're at bestketonetest.com, make sure you get the meter. And we also have glucose strips sold in vials of 50 and you'll get $5 off with the coupon code JIMMY. There's also the Ketonian Special Kit, which allows you to get the meter, lancet, as well as a starter pack of blood ketone test strips. Again, it's bestketonetest.com for the Keto Mojo blood ketone and blood glucose testing. Bestketonetest.com. We're back here with Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Visit our website, ketotalk.com. And I'm here with the man himself, Dr. Will Cole. And we're looking at the latest health headlines. And I loved this next one, Will, from diabetes.co.uk. New discovery could explain metabolic benefits of low-carb diet. Researchers have made a discovery that could explain why a low-carb, high-fat diet can promote healthy aging and prevent age-related diseases 
diseases. Previous studies have all shown that eating less sugar and more healthy fats protects against type 2 diabetes, Alzheimer's, and cancer, but the mechanics was uh, unclear about the metabolic process. Now researchers have observed a detoxification system in the body, which has not previously been identified and could explain how the body protects itself from the harmful effects of sugar. And so I'm going to get your help with this word, but the process is a metabolite called methylglyoxal. Did I get it right? You got it right. Okay, good. So it originates from the body's sugar metabolism, and it has been known to cause age-related diseases. And it looks like the uh, low-carb diet gets in there and and impacts that process. What would you think about this? Such a cool study. I would really just to look at the pathway and what they're finding, the impact that ketones, this is specifically looking at acetoacetate, the ketone, and having it's showing evidence to say that the acetoacetate can minimize the impact of this harmful, this harmful sugar uh, metabolite. Um, so it's really cool. And they're kind of saying that it, it could be a promising for people with diabetes and people with diabetes-related complications such as neuropathy and basically the driving down of inflammation um, from these sugar metabolites. Yeah, when I saw detoxification, I was like, oh, Will's going to be all up into that. (laughs) Yeah, it was really neat. So definitely people should look at the study here and kind of add it to their their bank of information. Yes, it was actually published in the journal Cell Chemical Biology. And uh, yeah, really a positive study uh, all about ketosis. So pretty neat. And then the last one, uh, we recently had a bunch of hurricanes come through the United States and Hurricane Irma was one of them. And the Washington Post reports Hurricane Irma may speed the end of orange juice, America's biggest source of quote unquote fruit, uh, which is true. Most people's uh, fruit intake, uh, the number one one is orange juice, which doesn't count. But okay, we'll go with that. But Hurricane Irma plundered Florida's orange belt, leaving a trail of uprooted trees, downed fruit and flooded groves worse than anything that they've seen in more than two decades. It could even be the knockout blow for product orange juice that has been slipping in popularity among Americans, although the beverage still ranks as the favorite fruit. Most recent estimates of the damage to the orange trees put the statewide losses as high as 70 percent of the total crop that could lead to orange shortages, price hikes and for farmers lost harvest, all on top of a debilitating plant disease uh, that's also shown a decline. So it's interesting. The headlines say this is the end of orange juice. Orange juice ain't going anywhere. But if it makes it more difficult and more expensive for people to get and they happen to get some of the health benefits that come from cutting this, I'm just going to put it bluntly, this is soda in a fruit form, basically, uh, from being in people's uh, households. I think it's a good thing, but I don't think it's the end of orange juice. Yeah, I think that there's, unless the people's like love for sugar <laughs> goes away, which I don't see it going away anytime soon. There's, I mean, I do feel bad for the orange farmer. I mean, yes. I just think I put myself in their position. Like this is people's livelihood and this is, and they work very hard, um, but it's kind of crazy. The average American consumes their fruit in the form of this juice yes. where the average American drinks tw- over 23 pounds of orange juice juice 
every year, the average American. And the next number on there is yeah. apple juice, wow. which is 13.9 pounds. And Where's then the, the next first one after that, fruit? <laughs> ba- bananas, uh, bananas, 11 of pounds of bananas, is. then apples, then watermelon, all the higher fructose other than bananas, I guess, but apples and watermelon and grapes. Uh, and then you get a lower fructose at strawberries at the way end of the list, only wow. 3.8 pounds compared that to the 23 pounds of orange juice. Uh, pretty crazy. Strawberries is our number one in this household. Christine loves those things. <laughs> I, yeah. guess, I, I guess technically avocado would be up there as well, but they don't usually put that on a list of fruits. Where is that? No, did yeah. you see a list of fruits that had avocado? No, they did not list avocado, which I would be interested to see how that would compare. I bet it's yeah. up there. All the guacamole out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, this is one of those interesting ones in as much as people won't have access or it'll be out of their reach economically because they have to raise the prices. The thing I was most concerned about is where am I going to get my orange essential oil now? Because <laughs> that's what oranges are to me. I get the essential yeah. oils yeah. and uh, and use that. So anyway, I just thought that was an interesting one to uh, to look at. But let's get to the first question we're going to hit here today. And the first one is from Rod. Hello, Jimmy and Will. I started eating low-carb keto in April this year as a way to lose weight. I have struggled staying in ketosis, but have lost over 20 pounds so far. My biggest problem is having uh, bouts of diverticulitis since making this dietary change, forcing me to take Metamucil to raise my fiber intake. My doctor recommends that I discontinue the ketogenic approach even though he was the one that encouraged me to pursue it in the first place. My C-reactive protein is elevated. That's that inflammation marker we talked about earlier. And I am now getting concerned. I'm done, I've am done. i done my homework on a ketogenic diet, reading all the books and websites. I'm fully convinced it's the way to go. I have a PhD in biomedical science from a U.S. medical school. And even though all I've read runs counter to what I learned in graduate school, I'm fully converted and convinced of keto. Have you run into this problem before? And if so, how should I proceed, Rod? So Rod's question is this. Why am I experiencing diverticulitis since adopting a ketogenic lifestyle? And what can I do to best manage this while remaining keto? Well, normally... A well-formulated, healthy ketogenic approach is actually a good tool against diverticulitis. And just to define diverticulitis for people who don't know, uh, you can some people can get sort of these pouch-like sacs in their intestines where things can get like undigested food and fecal matter can get stuck in the pouches and it can become inflamed and there can be this sort of inflammatory response and that's what diverticulitis is. Um, and a ketogenic approach can be really good at that because it can be really good for your gut, really good for driving down inflammation, and you can go off a lot of these antigenic inflammatory foods. So I would look at the quality of the food first and making sure that the, the patient and the person is eating enough healthy ketogenic foods and the quality of the foods are important. Eating more plants uh, from a fiber standpoint to kind of clear out the gut 
Diverticulitis is associated with something called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO, which we've talked about in previous um, shows that um, SIBO is associated with diverticulitis. So for those people, if it's an issue, I would try to cook those vegetables down to make them more digestible, to to prevent the gas and bloating that can go along with SIBO. Um, But some other tools that I would use for somebody that's eating ketogenic diet and has diverticulitis is look at some non-food factors like stress, which stress can be a major trigger to gut problems. You have what's called the gut-brain axis and emotional stress, psychological stress can impact your gastrointestinal system and trigger inflammation in there. I also use some herbal botanical medicines to help with the gut, soothing the gut and calming inflammation and help healing the intestines like DGL uh, licorice and slippery elm, which is an herb and marshmallow root, which is an herb. So these uh, herbal medicines can help calm inflammation, help with the mucosal lining of the gut and healthy probiotics, which are another great tool for somebody with diverticulitis. Um, And then I would say look for SIBO. So maybe getting a urea breath test, which is a SIBO test that can kind of see if there is this bacterial overgrowth that is contributing to these gastrointestinal symptoms. And um, just if it's not full-blown SIBO, I also would look for just general dysbiosis or imbalance of the microbiome, the healthy bacteria in our gut. Um, But also, So with diverticulitis and GI motility and SIBO and these things that we're talking about, another thing to consider is serotonin. Um, Serotonin is an important part of GI motility. And as we've talked about in previous weeks, that 95% of your serotonin, your happy neurotransmitter, is made in your gut and stored in your gut. And studies have shown that serotonin levels in people with diverticulitis have lower, tend to have lower levels compared to control groups. So looking at at that component of gut health, the serotonin factor, and looking at something called serotonin transporter or cert transkip levels, which can impact the way your gut moves and healthy GI motility. So if that's an issue for those type of patients, and I do see this in some people, um, consider something called 5-HTP, which is something you can get at a supplement store or yep. online at Amazon. It's a precursor to serotonin, which again, influences the gut. Um, but if you are on like an antidepressant, an SSRI, talk with your doctor before you go on something like 5-HTP because you you can get something called serotonin syndrome. You have basically a, a, a too much serotonin in the body. So talk with your doctor if you are on an antidepressant before going on some uh, serotonin precursor like 5-HTP. And last but not least, magnesium, uh, which is responsible for, you know, hundreds of different pathways in the body, but it's good for kind of clearing out the gut as well, which can be good for somebody with diverticulitis. So, Will, what was it about the ketogenic diet that made this diverticulitis manifest itself, or is it simply coincidence that this popped up right at the time when keto was being started by Rod? It could be that it just uncovered something that was already there and it fla- you, he just coincidentally saw a flare up. There's no way of knowing that from the question alone. Right. But 
I would also say too that sometimes patients, when they go ketogenic, they just stop eating most plant foods that they should be having, mm. and that could be another problem too. And it's just not as well formulated for the individual. So those are two possibilities: coincidence or just not optimizing the food choices that they're having. Well, and one other possibility is you become hyper aware of what's happening in your health because you've made a dietary change. So maybe he didn't notice it. it maybe it was subclinical, and he wasn't really paying attention. But, oh, my goodness, now I have this. <laughs> it yeah, just kind of popped sure. up all of a sudden because it was on his radar screen because he was, quote, eating healthier. For sure. Awareness is a major factor, too, where people are just more alert to things about their health. Well, Rod, thank you for your question. Hopefully that helps you out. And special thank you to Jeffrey. Jeffrey writes, thank you for all the great information that you share. I see you as a content curator, saving me an enormous amount of time that I would otherwise spend searching through Google and Amazon. A bunch of friends that have asked me how I've lost 20 pounds in a couple of months. I try not to evangelize to them, but it's hard when I'm so enthusiastic. My knee pain is gone. My blood work improved. Uh, I can think more clearly and more. I hope some of my friends actually get on board so they can reap the benefits for themselves. I do tell them what works for me uh, or, or for them may be different from what works for me. I appreciate the scrupulous honesty that is readily apparent in all of your podcasts, which is so rare uh, in today's social media. Thank you for that, Jeffrey. Uh, Ulysses also donated and Penny. Penny writes, I've been a listener of Keto Talk for quite a while, have experienced an amazing turnaround in my health since starting Keto Keto IF four years ago after having type 2 diabetes for over 16 years following my doctor's pharmaceutical approach and completely wrong nutrition advice. I did my own research, discovered keto, and now I've reversed my diabetes, lost over 65 pounds, gotten uh, off of all of my prescription medications. I'm 59 years old, in better health and more fit than I've been in Decades. Thanks, Jimmy and Dr. Cole, for sharing your knowledge and experience. Your podcast is a great motivator for me. Keto on. What a we had some great donations with great testimonies this week, Will. So uh, really enjoy seeing those. And if you'd like to give a donation to Keto Talk to keep us on the air, PayPal.me/KetoTalk, or you can go to KetoTalk.com, click on the donate button, and uh, that'll help us out. But let's get right to this study today because when I saw this. study, Study, and it was actually a preliminary paper that was presented at the 18th Congress of the International Headache Society uh, by someone I know. She lives in Switzerland. Her name is Elena Gross. She's a doctoral candidate. And so she was looking at various aspects of a ketogenic diet approach and, and some of these exogenous ketones like we talked about last week, Will. And she found that there was a benefit to migraines and that the reason she's maybe promoting people try to use exogenous ketones rather than just the diet is it could be difficult for some people to stick with a ketogenic diet. But what do you think about this one? Very interesting. I love looking at pathways and and that's really what functional medicine is. And this kind of gets into the nitty gritty of how ketones, we know they work metabolically from an energy standpoint, but this study and this, this hypothesis really looking at 
at how keto, keto, ketones sorry, can, can work from a signaling molecule standpoint and how they're anti-inflammatory and how they, how they help balance out glutamate and GABA, which is sort of the excitatory and sort of the calming neurotransmitters in the body. Um, so, and how they just basically have this decreasing inflammatory impact on the body and how they can be beneficial for people with migraines. And like I said, Elena is a, a big fan of Keto Talk. She's been listening since day one, back when Dr. Nally was hosting, and we got to meet her at the Metabolic Therapeutics Conference earlier this year. So she sent along some things she wanted me to share. So she said, I would never recommend exogenous ketones with a high-carb diet, uh, even if participants in the trial are not asked to change their diet. This approach was chosen potentially uh, to figure out the mechanisms of the presence of ketones versus the absence of high glucose in the diet. Uh, so when she consults patients outside of research, uh, this would always include a dietary change to a low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diet. She, so she wanted to make sure that was um, in place. And, the, and she also wanted me to say this was extremely preliminary, so don't draw any conclusions out of this until more research is done. Um, so far, there have been two dropouts. Eight patients were examined. Two different ketogenic substances were used, the exogenous ketones, one of which was mineral salts, the other... Um, she didn't present and isn't allowed to talk about because the it's so preliminary. So on and on and on. Dom D'Agostino, who's one of the world-renowned uh, researchers of keto, actually is an external supervisor on the project. So uh, she's not just doing this willy-nilly. Uh, Elena's really trying to do this the right way, and I told her that we wanted to talk about it here today. So she passed along that extra information for you guys to enjoy. All right. Well, let's get to today's featured headlines uh, of, of questions that you guys had for us here today. And there are some good ones in here today. The first one is from Leanne. Hi, Jimmy and Dr. Cole. I've been eating keto since May of 2016. I feel great. I regularly check my blood ketones. I'm usually in the 0.7 to 2.0 range. I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's in 2006. I've been on 100 MCGs of Synthroid ever since. My thyroid levels were all in range last June, but the th my thyroid kept getting larger. And during the summer this year, my doctor found a nodule that ended up showing, uh, what is that, Herthel cells? This concerned my doctor who said it's a cancer risk. He recommended having a total thyroidectomy. My surgery is scheduled for next week, which by the time this airs, uh, she told me it will have already happened. I think it's happening right now while we're recording this. So uh, she's wondering what impact this thyroidectomy will have on her pursuit of nutritional ketosis. Will it make it more difficult to stay in ketosis? Um if I no longer have a thyroid, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into so I can respond accordingly after surgery. Love your show. Keep it up, Leanne. So what impact on ketosis will there be with this complete removal of her thyroid? Uh, well, first of all, I'm praying for just a quick recovery and everything goes smoothly um, for the thyroidectomy. Um, but I would say this is a common question that I get because many of my patients have gone through a lot in their health like she is going through um, before they get to someone in functional medicine. <clears throat> we have to look at Hashimoto's. It is an autoimmune disease that attacks the thyroid. Um, so the problem isn't inherently the thyroid. The, the thyroid is just victim of the immune system. And there is an increase 
increased risk of, God forbid, but other autoimmune issues, something called poly autoimmunity, where we have patients with two, three, four, or more autoimmune spectrum issues, where their body's not only attacking the thyroid, but it's attacking other things like the joint or the gut or things like this. So the problem wasn't the thyroid ultimately in the first place. Um, so all the benefits that we're talking about on this show, the decreased inflammation, better cognitive function, better metabolic rate, curbing cravings, all of this still applies to her. All of this still applies to you, uh, even more so, if, if anything, because um, those are things that you still need with or without a thyroid. I mean, you're going to have to be on a thyroid replacement hormone now, but all of the things that we're talking about, the benefits of a ketogenic lifestyle is still applicable to you. So some things to consider um, is looking at a full thyroid panel, which we talked about at the beginning of the show. You can go to drworldcole.com if you want a full printout to ask your doctor for these labs because people without a thyroid, they have to look, I would say anybody would have to look at this, but specifically someone without a thyroid, they're going to want to look at their T4 to T3 conversion because they're typically just given T4 and they're not looking at how their body is processing levothyroxine or Synthroid. So they're going to want to look at the conversion and 80% of that conversion happens in the liver. 20% of the conversion of T4 to T3 happens in the microbiome in the gastrointestinal system. So looking at, uh, total T4, total T3, and then free T4 and free T3, which are the actual super bioavailable forms of the thyroid hormone, what's actually getting in the cell. And then I would also, based on your health history, looking at something called predictive autoimmunity and basically is the body creating antibodies against other parts of the body beyond the thyroid. Uh, this is a blood test that we would run um, and it's called multiple autoimmune reactivity screening because again, the thyroid is just victim of this autoimmune inflammation problem. Well, it sounds like it's a very complex issue. Is this hurdle cell uh, formulation uh, that happens on the thyroid, is, is that common? It is relatively common. It's something that I see a lot clinically patients coming in and either already having part of the thyroid removed or all of the thyroid removed. People with thyroid problems, those class of people, I would say it is relatively common. I don't know the exact statistics, but it's something that I definitely hear on a weekly basis um, with our patients with thyroid issues. And so this is someone who, like a type 1 diabetic, would have to take insulin for the rest of their life. This is someone who will have to take some sort some form of external thyroid um, hormone for the rest of their life too, right? Like a yeah, because yeah, even if it's not a synthetic one, but yeah. even like Armour Thyroid or That's Nature Thyroid, yeah, Armour yeah. wouldn't wouldn't Armour be a little closer to what a functional medicine approach would be, or how, mm -hmm. how would you help a person yeah. like that? Yeah, Armour Thyroid. Um, and nature thyroid, these are two options that are definitely from uh, like pig and cow um, sources. Yeah. There's a blend of T4 and T3. But often I see people that do fine on Synthroid um, and sometimes people just do better on that. So within the, I don't have any bias as to, you know, what is the source of five replacement hormone because I've right. seen Synthroid do well. And I on the flip side, you'd think the more natural option would be armor thyroid, which it is. But I see sometimes it drives their T3 numbers way too high. Uh Ah. And their body's over-converting T4 and T3. So the over-conversion plus the excess T3 that the that you're taking in the form of the natural 
uh, nature thyroid armor thyroid it's like over t- too much t3 they feel miserable on it and you can get thyroid resistance which is similar to insulin resistance Ooh. or leptin re- leptin resistance and it can blunt the thyroid receptor sites which isn't good because then you're going to need more and more of that stuff to create the same effect because your body is you know resistant to that hormone at that point so it's down even with these medications we want to find out how, what's best for your body so other than trial and error with one or or the other of these medications is there a way to test to see which one would have the best efficacy no, it's going to be trial and error. And then it's sort of this this waiting game and retesting frequently to make sure. And that's one management issue that I see with a lot of different doctors, both in the functional medicine world and the mainstream medicine world. They're going way too long in between testing these thyroid numbers when they're putting people on different dosages. And there's weeks and weeks and months and months and months going. And they've never really looked at their full thyroid panels and they could be overdosing or underdosing wow. and the patient's just sitting there in limbo not knowing really what's going on here so when we're when we are shifting any change in in any uh, amount of uh, hormones that the patient is exposed to we want to retest about every 8 weeks and i would encourage any patient that is tinkering with their their dosages with their doctor to encourage their doctor to retest uh, frequently to make sure that they're on point with their numbers. And whether you're symptomatic or not, sometimes symptoms don't manifest themselves. And so you don't know until you see that blood work. Yeah. I mean, it could just be like we mentioned at the beginning of the show, they have excess cholesterol levels because their thyroid hormone isn't optimal and it's downregulating uh, detoxification pathway. So we definitely, it's not just based on symptoms for sure. Yeah. Well, Leanne, thank you for that. And yes, happy recovery to you. If you can say happy to recovery, well, make it a happy recovery. She did say she would listen to this episode while she's recuperating. So uh, thank you for listening to Keto Talk, Leanne, and best wishes to you. And guys, we'll be right back. Have you read my best-selling book, Keto Clarity, and still have trouble trying to figure out this ketogenic thing? Then let me introduce you to my latest project called Keto Clarity Academy. Visit the website ketoclarityacademy.com where we're making low-carb simple. This program is designed to help the average, everyday person struggling with health issues, weight gain, and just needs a clearer understanding of what keto is all about. Our goal is to simply teach practical ways to implement a whole foods nutritional ketogenic diet for optimizing both weight loss and health. We have various services available to you, including classes on ketogenic diets based on Keto Clarity. We also have one-on-one support and consultation mentoring, as well as 24-hour texting with an instructor. Again, go to ketoclarityacademy.com and sign up now to find your clarity about keto. Keto Clarity Academy. We're back here on Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. KetoTalk.com is our website. If you love hearing Dr. Will Cole's voice and want to hear it in person as one of his patients, I know he'd love to help you out. DrWillCole.com is his website, D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. But let's get to the second featured question of the day here, Will. You ready for Zach? 
Let's go. All right. Hey, guys, I'm a big fan of Keto Talk. I've been eating this way for about a year with great results for the most part. I noticed a couple of months after starting a ketogenic diet that my sex hormone uh, binding globulin rose from 50 to 70. What's he doing paying attention to that? But anyway, uh, my (laughs) testosterone tanked as a result. I've since run these tests several more times, and they all confirm the same thing. From what I've read, this means my body's ability to use any available test testosterone has been hampered and many sites online blame a low carb diet as the culprit. I need you to talk me off the ledge on this and help me figure out what's going on. Thanks, Zach. So Zach wants to know, did a ketogenic diet cause a rise in SHBG and a decrease in testosterone levels? And what can I do uh, to my keto approach to remedy this? Now, I don't even know what my sex hormone binding globulin number is. So kudos to you, Zach, for even paying attention to this. But what do you think, Will? (laughs) So the sex hormone binding globulin or the SHBG, HBG. Uh, just for those of you who want a framework of this, this is if just breaking down that word, sex hormone binding globulin. It's it's binding free forms of the of hormones, uh, mainly testosterone in this case. So there are in theory less levels of free testosterone or what actually can be utilized by the body. So that's the concern with elevated basically transporters of of testosterone in the body. Um, so I, first of all, let's put this in context. I think the the question, the questioner, the asker asked about. Uh, said, they said the T levels were tanked, so we didn't know an exact number there. But I'm assuming that's out of the lab range. I'm, I'm assuming that, and I'm also assuming the patient, the person, has symptoms of low testosterone. They're maybe losing muscle mass. They have increased fatigue. They're gaining weight. They're having trouble losing weight. They have maybe low sex drive. If they aren't having these symptoms and they're just kind of looking at the numbers, or maybe it's on the tail end of normal and it's just slightly lower, I would, maybe it's not a problem. And it's kind of going to that point of what I had said in previous weeks of, of slightly lower T3 levels um, with a ketogenic diet. It's the same, or I'd say, just say similar mechanisms here with testosterone where the body just may be more efficient and it's not producing any negative symptoms and all the biomarkers look great. They're not having any issues. So I would want to put it in context with what the patient's going through and other biomarkers to kind of see if it's an issue or not. And it may just be this adaptation to a healthy ketosis. But if, if they do find that their baseline is, is high, their, their sex hormone binding globulin, um, then I would, I would look at one of the top things that I do see is patients over exercising. And if they're running like marathons or like they're doing like high intensity stuff, like a lot, this can influence your sex hormone binding globulin. So maybe backing off of that and taking a little bit easier. And there are studies to show that fats specifically I've seen studies on olive oil and olive oil and healthy fats similar to olive oil can increase sex hormone binding globulin as well so it may just be a matter of of optimizing their macronutrients a little bit more and I know there are studies as well that show that kind of conflicting with the olive oil studies to show that fats don't have a major influencer 
influencing effect on uh, these these levels, these hormone levels. But more than, than anything, it's actually a lack of protein, which may be some of the judgment on a ketogenic diet as well. It's just not optimizing protein levels. Mm-hmm. And I've seen studies that fiber of all things, which you wouldn't think would have an influence on it. I've seen fiber and protein. It's different studies seeing that that uh, could have an impact on sex hormone binding globulins and testosterone levels. So all of that to say, look at the fat that you're having and try tinkering and playing around and testing with the fat intake that you're having and maybe up your protein a little bit, maybe up your fiber in the form of vegetables up a little bit, a little bit. And more times than not, I've seen these tweakings, these minor tweakings make a major impact in numbers. And you're going to have to retest obviously and see where these levels are at in about eight weeks to see if you're moving in the right direction. But also testosterone is based, I mean, your level should be based on your age. So also make sure that you're looking at your testosterone levels in your age bracket and not comparing yourself to like, you know, a, a 20 year old. He wants to be a 20 year old stud, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're not 20. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. I would love to have testosterone of a 20 year old, but 45 kind of hampers that a little bit. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Zach, thank you for those uh, for the question, and hopefully uh, Will's advice helped you out here today. But let's move on to the third featured question of the day from Miguel. Dear Jimmy and Dr. Will, yesterday I went to see my general practitioner to review my latest blood work. She knows I've been eating a ketogenic diet for the past nine months, was nothing but pleased with all of my markers except for one. My urine pH was 5.5. She noted that that indicates my body is a bit acidic. She said I shouldn't worry about this, this since all the other numbers are perfectly fine. But she made the following statement that stopped me in my tracks. I'm not sure. Sure, but maybe it's the ketones you're excreting that makes your urine more acidic. What? Is it true that being in ketosis makes your urine acidic? Should I be worried at all about this, or is this of no concern at all? Thank you for your help, Miguel. So Miguel wants to know, does eating a low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diet make the urine pH more acidic? And if so, should I be worried about this at all? Is is acidity versus alkaline something you test <clears throat> with your patients there locally in Pittsburgh? Yeah, and most of our patients are via Skype and FaceTime, but and we run those labs on on those people as well. Okay. But I think it's good to frame this because this can happen, and I think that it's good to kind of differentiate this because when people hear alkaline and acidic, they are what typically happens is they're thinking of this alkaline diet or eating right. alkaline foods that they read online right. or they've heard someone talk about. Um, I think it's important to di- differentiate what we're talking about here yes. is blood pH versus urine and saliva pH. And the question was about urine pH, but blood pH, which is typically the kind of what the advocates for an alkaline diet would say is that eating alkaline foods is going to influence your blood into more of an alkaline state. And what they do is they test their urine. They, they're peeing on a strip to see if their urine is alkaline or acidic. Uh, those are two different things. And your blood pH, sort of the balance of acidity for al- versus alkalinity, um, your blood is highly regulated. It's not going to fluctuate mu- much. So just put this into perspective is that your blood is about seven 
1.0 and that's considered neutral and it's going to slight if it slights like fluctuates slightly to alkalinity it's maybe go to like 7.4 maybe yeah. but it's almost impossible it's going to be impossible to change the pH of your blood through that through the foods that you're eating beyond that so if like for example if your pH drops to like 6.0 nine 6.8 you're dead you're like in a coma you're in a coma or you're dead wow um so food directly influences your urine and few food indirectly influences your your saliva but it's not influencing your blood in a major way so the benefits of alkaline diet which is basically eating lots of healthy vegetables right the benefits of this alkaline diet does not come necessarily from its alkalinity but it becomes it it's because of all the micronutrients and all the good real food matter that you're eating it's all, all of that stuff that actually is beneficial not from its alkalinity um but i would say that i do see more of an acidic urine not blood because of uh, not a optimized ketogenic diet. They're just not eating, eating enough vegetables. So I typically say to eat more alkalizing vegetables to influence their pH. If they're having you know symptoms, urinary issues, they may, just may, may want to eat more uh, veggies and focus on wild-caught foods, focus on things like grass-fed beef liver to help with, um, with this sort of electrolyte balance. And you also can test for things uh, in the blood to kind of see if their electrolytes are off, which a deficiency of these electrolytes can influence the acidity of their urine. So looking at uric acid levels, which high levels are linked to gout, so uh, avoid high uric acid levels, looking at low calcium, low magnesium, low sodium potassium ratios. These are some electrolyte blood biomarkers that you can see. If those things are off, then maybe you do need to tweak your ketogenic diet. So you don't have to gonna you know, it's not the ketogenic diet's fault. It is just not optimizing it for your body that's the problem. Are all vegetables alkalizing or are there better ones than others? I would increase uh, bitter greens. So dandelion, collards, kale, turnip greens, mustard greens. You can even get like green powders if you want to do that. And you, yep. you, know, you can't make all the greens all the time. Like at work, you can just put in the green powder. So those are good things. You also can get like a cal calcium, magnesium, potassium powder to improve uh, the alkalinity there too if you need to fluctuate the urine uh, alkalinity there too. So it's typically very easily resolved. It's just minor tweaking. I don't think it's anything to get scared over just based on that alone. Um, so those are some tools to use. So do you call that a cow mag pot? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of cow mag, but I hadn't heard the potassium one in on that. So cow mag pot. Yeah, there you go. Coming soon to a supplement store near you. <laughs> well, Miguel, thank you for that question. And we're up to the Keto Talk mailbox portion of the show. We always throw a funky one in there. And today, Judy has the winner, winner, chicken dinner. Hello, you guys. I'm currently reading Keto Clarity. And the biggest question I'm having about keto is this. If my body truly prefers being in a state of nutritional ketosis and runs more optimally on ketones than on glucose, then why does my body choose to preferentially choose to burn sugar over fat if both are present? I have a fear that years down the line, this whole keto diet will negatively impact my health. Is that fear justified? Thank you, Judy. So Judy, a great philosophical question. Definitely looking forward to hearing what Will has to share. If the body prefers to be fueled by ketones, why does it preferentially burn glucose over fat when both are present? First of all, is that statement true? 
It is true. So, I mean, raised blood sugar is harmful to your body. So it is, it's toxic in high levels. If your body doesn't get it down, it can be harmful. It shortens telomeres. It's inflammatory. It's just not good for the body. So to put this into context, you know, if we someone drinks alcohol, if they drink a glass of wine or they're drinking, you know, a beer or vodka or something like this, alcohol is burned before glucose. But that doesn't mean that alcohol is your body's preferred fuel. Um, so just like glucose, I mean, since that. Just because it has to be burned first doesn't mean that it's preferred fuel. The body's actually being protection. It's protecting itself. It's getting rid of the toxin first. Right. So fuels are burned in order of toxicity for your survival. Interesting. And they're burned in reverse order for storage capacity. So it's just more efficient for your body to burn the alcohol, then burn the sugar, then burn the fats. Why? Because the fat has to be broken down. So it's way more efficient to just burn off the kindling versus putting on the slow burning log. But that's why when you burn off the kindling, then your body goes into the tapping into the slow burning log. So just because it's burning at first doesn't mean it's preferred. It just actually means it's the most toxic. The body needs to get rid of it. I had never heard of it that before. And that that was a much easier question to answer. When I first saw it, I went, I had to think through it a little bit. But that makes sense that it would want to get rid of the things that are harming you first vis-a-vis the alcohol before the carbs slash glucose and then the glucose and then the fat. Yeah, totally. Because there's no other one after that. (laughs) Yeah. That is the last line of defense. (laughs) Yeah, so it's really just your body being efficient and using, making the most sense to how you break things down for fuel. Well, Judy, thank you for your question. And it was kind of a because it was a really easy answer (laughs) by comparison. So thank you for your question. And we're up to the iTunes reviews portion of the show. And this one is Balani Mind Body. I never miss an episode. A podcast that focuses on scientifically based nutritional information is such a gem. I learn something new every episode. And despite other listeners who think Jimmy is childish, I think you're great, Jimmy. It's okay to have a little fun when you're talking about serious stuff. I appreciate the focus on research, debunking nutritional claims that are out there, especially from the American medical practice with recent scientifically valid information. As a weight loss counselor, I pound my head against these proverbial bricks with clients who have been placed on statins with quote-unquote high cholesterol and put on low-fat, high-grain diets for prediabetes and obesity. Ugh. It's a battle we all are engaged in every day against the antiquated medical information that people receive, and I thank you guys for being a part of the fight of bringing the truth to the American public. Thank you very much for that review. And if you'd like to leave us a review, head on over to iTunes, type in Jimmy Moore, Will Cole, Keto Talk. You will find the show and you too can leave us your review. Well, guys, that's it for episode 86 of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. As always, go to ketotalk.com. If you missed any of the stuff we talked about here today, we have full show notes for everything you heard us talk about. You can also engage uh, with these headlines and tell us your thoughts about them on the official Facebook page for Keto Talk. That's at ketotalkfb.com, where you can join us in the Ketonian Corner. And, Will, next week I will be on a boat. (laughs) 
This time <laughs> next week, uh, I'm uh, our very first ever Keto 101 cruise where we're teaching kind of the basic principles of ketogenic diets. It's myself and Maria Emmerich and Jackie Eberstein uh, teaching a, a pretty small group. We purposely kept it to about 30, 35 people uh, who want to learn about kind of the basics of keto. Because you get the basics then when you hear some of these kind of funky questions that we address, it makes it a lot easier to kind of follow once you understand it. So while we're away, we have a special surprise for everybody next week. So uh, we're going to air lectures from you and I uh, that we did at a recent conference. And so I thought that would be fun to air those back to back so people could hear. And of course, you guys will hear some very familiar theme songs if you listen to this show regularly in both of our talks. So uh, really looking forward to sharing that. But I'm going to miss you, man, for the next couple of weeks. We'll be gone, but we'll be back here with brand new questions uh, that you guys submit to us in two weeks. So until Uh, Next Thursday, when we have the lectures, we'll see you then. See ya. You've been listening to Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Visit our website, ketotalk.com, for full show notes for this episode. If you love Keto Talk, then drop us a review at iTunes. Thanks for joining us for today's episode, and we'll see you again next Thursday. Disc of Light.